Upon cresting the ridge, a small group of companions gaped in amazement at the destruction surrounding the ancient ring of stones. While the great stone circle stood tall against the gloom of perpetual twilight, the surrounding forest and fields were torn and rent as though many great creatures had simply ripped them up from the roots. A large stretch of broken ground and downed trees carved a path that led inexorably north. Halt! Stay right where you are and no harm will befall you. The voice rang out as a small group approached the otherwise vacant-looking circle of stones. Dare you! came the sharp voice of Mift, who had suddenly appeared atop a smaller group of stones just outside the opening of the great circle. Dare you! Dare you! He repeated with emphasis, crossing his small arms across his chest as he thumped a foot and looked furtively about. Mift, what are you doing? You'll get yourself hurt, twittered Salazar as he leapt into the air and circled about, looking for the source of this strange voice. I do declare, added the cockapo as he fluffed his feathers and spread his wings while waddling into the clearing. Show yourself, you disembodied ghost. (laughs) Charlie chuckled at all of the antics, (laughs) feeling more at home with this small group of companions than she had in what felt like a very long time. I don't see anyone. How about you, Jeremy? Oh, well, it is... Plenty of noise, but I, I can't... Oh, ah, yes, there it is. The little chittery ones sitting on top of the thing that is producing this voice, I believe. The bat's voice came from the shadows as Jeremy remained hidden behind the group, uncomfortable with being in the open during the daylight. Along the way, he had picked up a firm and straight ash limb and plucked the leaves off, making a fine walking stick for himself. Hey there! Hey there! Mift chittered as it dropped down to all fours, grabbing onto the stone, which had just started to rise from the ground, lifting the small creature with it into the air. I said halt! Again, the voice, this time with a bit more force, the source of which was apparently the rising pile of stones, which began to take shape right before their eyes. With a grinding and a lurching sound, the stones rearranged themselves until a smaller stone figure stood before them, with Mift clinging to the top of its stone head. Not a step further, any of you. You have entered the official territory of the Stone Army, and I... As its lieutenant, require you to present yourselves or be utterly destroyed. This last, it said so matter-of-factly that Charlie found herself chuckling again as the small stone (laughs) creature was not much larger than she. Dare you! Dare you! The voice of Mift was sharp as the small chipmunk tapped the stone head furiously with a soft paw. I say, what magic is this? Inquired the lieutenant, turning its head this way and that and nearly dislodging Mift who clung on ferociously. What manner of dark magic is this? I will have you know that the Stone Army is impervious to your inconsequential powers, so you might as well surrender now before the trouble begins. Charlie just shook her head, barely holding in her mirth at the sight of the silly chipmunk dancing atop the head of this stone creature. But holding herself together, she strode toward the creature and came to a crisp stop 
clapping both of her feet together and offering a salute, like she had seen soldiers doing in a parade once. I am Charlie, and this is my company reporting to the Stone Army for orders. She smartly snapped her hand back to her side and smiled at the stone creature, whose face slowly took shape within its stone head. That is more like it. Well, Charlie Company, as it happens, you are indeed needed as it seems the rest of the army has been stolen and is currently marching north under the orders of a rather mean-looking, skinny-legged, bluish puff of feathers. The stone lieutenant's head rotated about on what appeared to be its body without the rest of the body moving as if making an inspection of the other members of the party. Very well, then. Let me have a look at you. Every great march to battle deserves a proper inspection of the troops. Wait, what do you mean the rest of the army was stolen? Queried Charlie with a hint of confusion. Are you telling me that you lost the rest of the army, Lieutenant? This time it was the voice of old Pete. It immediately followed Charlie's query as he waddled up to stand beside Charlie in front of the stone creature. How do you lose a whole army? Tish tosh, let's not get lost in the details. All battles are fluid things after all, replied the lieutenant without a hint of worry. But ah, I see an old veteran has returned. Looking a bit plump around the middle, aren't we, Sergeant Pete? Still not fit for aerial patrol. Pete fluttered at this for a moment. Blah, 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 whatever. I'm in fine fighting form and never was able to fly, as you should rightly recall. The great, flightless bird retorted. All I have ever needed was my wings, my legs, and wits, which are just as strong and sharp as ever. And you, Charlie Company, do you have any battle experience? Any skills? Any weapons? For the first time, after rising from a pile of rubble, the stone lieutenant moved about Charlie with a very surprising, if not a bit rumbly, grace. Why, of course not. I'm just a girl from the city. Charlie was all out of sorts at this point, still recovering from the shock that this stone army may not be available to them. Very bright, very bright! Intones miffed from the top of the stone creature's head where it had become quite used to being jostled about. At that moment, Salazar the Finch fluttered in from the sky, clutching in its beak what appeared to be a very blackened chain with a small, dark, broken pendant still clinging to the center. The moment that Charlie's eyes caught sight of her once beautiful necklace, her breath caught. Oh no, is that... I'm afraid it is, Charlie. Salazar had laid the small burned necklace and pendant at her feet before replying. It seems that the key has already been used. Someone has already called the Stone Army. The new day had dawned with a dreary gray sky as Joan sat across the table in her small eat-in kitchen facing the sharply dressed woman from Child Protective Services who had arrived with precise punctuality early that morning. Joan had prepared coffee and tea and baked a few muffins which sat untouched on the table between them as Miss Fillmore lifted a folder and notepad from her briefcase and set them on the table. The click 
from her pen was audible in the stillness of the apartment as Joan sat on the verge of panic, clasping her hands together in an attempt to keep them from shaking. Miss Williard Stewart? Do you mind if I call you Joan? Began the woman in a professional but courteous tone. Um, yes. Yes, that would be fine, replied Joan, her voice quivering just a bit. Joan, I'm not here to take Charlotte away from you. I'm here to make sure that you and Charlotte have what you need, and to help determine what the best circumstances are for you and for your niece. Charlie is my daughter now, Joan corrected. The adoption process had just completed not a year ago, and it still stung a little when anyone referred to Charlie as anything but her daughter. The adoption was completed about 13 months ago. The courts felt at the time that I could provide a suitable home for her. Yes, yes, I understand. Miss Fillmore's tone softened just a hair as she watched Joan. Listen, I'm sure you've heard all the worst about the people in my profession. And I understand that this is extremely personal and threatening for you. Your daughter is missing. You are worried about her and you want to find her and now I'm here. The woman paused a moment before adding, Does that about sum things up? Yes. The words hung in the air. I don't think this is helpful at all. But all I want is to get Charlie back. More than anything, I just want her to be safe and happy. Joan could feel tears at the corners of her eyes, along with a mix of anger and fear. For some time, nothing more was said. Then Joan heard the pen click again and looked slowly up at the other woman who was merely watching her now with a kindness in her eyes that was unexpected. I've talked at length with your neighbors. You're a good mother, Joan. <laughs> You've done a wonderful thing by taking in your sister's daughters. You've given them everything you have. So believe me, I'm not here to take your daughter or your daughters away from you. I'm here to help. I believe we both have the same goal in mind. Joan choked back a sob that had somehow bubbled up from her gut, and then the tears began to fall in streams. <laughs> Finally, after some time, the two began to talk as Joan opened up about everything. The adoption process, the loss of her sister, Charlie's withdrawal at her sister's leaving for boarding school, and the struggle to keep steady employment. After what must have been hours, Miss Fillmore gathered her papers and notes together and closed them away in a briefcase with a crisp snap. Thank you, Joan. I'll need some time to process this information. If Charlie returns or anything changes, please let me know. Miss Fillmore rose from the table, briefcase in hand, walked a few steps to the door, opening it as Joan followed her, where she turned one last time to offer a business card with her contact information on it. Here's my card. Contact me at any time, and especially if Charlie returns. And with that, the woman closed the door, leaving Joan standing alone in the quiet of her apartment as the light from the spent day dimmed outside. Where? Where could you be, Charlie? Where, oh, where could you be? Then lifting her coat from a hook on the wall, Joan opened the door again, exiting the small apartment to resume her furtive search.
Woodland Flight, I need eyes. Get the eyes in the skies now. We can't keep fighting blind like this. And can anyone do anything about this darkening fog? Adeline strode purposefully across the back of the makeshift line that formed just inside the forest line around the great stump. This battle had quickly turned to a rout as tendrils of darkness moved like smoke among them, obscuring everything. Millicent's forces appeared to all be ground-bound, which offered at least some kind of advantage if Adeline could just have enough time to think. Fell the trees! Give us a barrier and some more time. Perhaps Salazar will return with reinforcements in time. Yet as the ground beneath her feet began to rumble and throb, her heart sank. Millicent must have figured out how to use the key. This she spoke more to herself before lifting her voice and shouting yet another command. We stand here, woodlings. Just hold the line as long as you can. Help will come. There is no help for you now, Adeline. The voice seemed to boom and echo from all around. Millicent had arrived. Stand down, Adeline. Resistance is futile and will only lead to unnecessary loss. For I command the Stone Army. The voice grew even greater. A rolling roar accompanied by a trumpet of thunder that shook the earth all around. Then the ground behind the woodling army tossed into the air in a clearing around the great stump as massive boulders and stone shapes pushed themselves to the surface, effectively trapping the woodling army and Adeline between their massive forms and Millicent's forces. Enough! Millicent's voice, again, rang with a clap of thunder and a concussive force that sent many of Adeline's forces sprawling to the ground, effectively ending the battle. Now, now the ceremony will be completed where it once began. All we need is the human child. Suddenly the swirling darkness parted as the figure of the heron appeared, walking slowly toward the great stump. Only Adeline stood in her way now. You cannot do this, Millicent. You know what will happen. You know what happened the last time this was attempted. Don't be a fool. Adeline <coughs> stared the heron down as she approached. The only fool I see is the one standing before me. Ferris, deal with this one. She commanded offhandedly as she slid past Adeline, who was now surrounded by the wolf in its snarling pack. <laughs> Gladly. Come, Adeline. The children are hungry today, and we have a woodling feast to prepare. The wolf sneered as it barked toward its pack to hem the antelope in and force her away from Millicent's path. If you harm even one of these woodlings, Ferris, you will not live to see another dawn. Adeline's voice was low and fierce causing the pack around her to back away a step before Ferris barked to laugh in reply. <laughs> Your days are done, Adeline. Now the wolf pack will lead. And we have our own rules. <laughs> Ferris laughed back as Adeline was bound and bind and pushed to the edge of the forest line, still surrounded by snapping jowls. By this point, Millicent had mounted the great stump and stood at its center. 
and lifting her crystal-taloned foot, she began to carve deep grooves into the wood, pausing only for a moment to add, Now find me the girl and bring her to me. At her command, Ferris and a group of her wolves broke away into the darkness, raising their voices in blood-curdling howls. Well, gentlemen, the voice of Mr. Kettle filled the room as he addressed the small team that stood before him, Brian and Jonathan among them. It brings me no pleasure to let you know that I've had a fair offer proposed for this building and several other properties that I own. His voice indicated quite the opposite, that he was rather enjoying telling them precisely this news. Brian and Jinx stood among the small cohort of other building managers and maintenance chiefs that had been called to the hastily scheduled meeting that morning. They watched from their seats around the crowded conference table as he slowly made his way about the room, finally perching a leg on top of an empty chair that rested against the wall and leaning toward the window as if he were having to make a difficult decision. Jinx. You have the paperwork I asked you to draw up. He queried without looking back to the bookkeeper. Yes, sir. All the numbers are here. I've checked them over, and I'm certain they're accurate and up to date. Jinx responded with a note of uncertainty now. Coming into the meeting, he had been full of hope at the news he alone held regarding Mr. Kettle's decision about the sale. But he had worked for the man long enough to be cautious when this tone was taken. <sighs> Thank you, Jinx. I'm sure your work is adequate. Kettle pushed himself back from the window and strode purposefully over to Jinx, who offered up a folder of papers while the others watched in silence. I've decided not to sell. Kettle's words hung in the wood-paneled room as even Jinx was shocked at this revelation. You see... When you've been in this business for as long as I, you learn to say no even more than you say yes. With this, he plopped the folder Jinx had just handed him onto the center of the table. But the offer has provided me with some excellent insight into our operations. You see, by having leadership at each of the buildings, we're literally throwing money away. In fact, I'm quite certain that we could run this operation with a third of the staff we currently have. Mr. Kettle reveled in the sight of so many grown men and women wriggling in their seats. Brian's face flushed for a moment, causing him to unbutton his collar, which Kettle noticed immediately. The dark eyes flashed like a hawk to the first sign of flushed prey. Brian, I want you to take the next 48 hours to bring me a list of the cuts you can make. 
and what you would recommend for a leaner, more centralized maintenance operation. Do you think you can handle that? Kettle's eyes twinkled darkly as he watched the red creep up onto the hot-headed maintenance chief's face. It is impossible, sir. We're short-staffed as it is. Brian couldn't believe he'd just uttered those words until they were already out of his mouth. Oh, you think we should bring on more people? Kettle queried with a look of innocent questioning on his face. Does anyone else agree with Brian? His sharp eyes cut across the room as no one else dared to move. Come now. Is Brian the only one man enough to disagree with me? You all count yourselves as leaders, and yet you haven't the guts to tell me what you really think. (laughs) Kettle's voice was rising now. He was on the hunt. Fair enough, Brian. You have 48 hours to deliver a suitable replacement plan to me. His tone softened for a moment as he walked over to Brian's seated form and placed a hand on his shoulder. And if your plan is no good, you will be the first one I cut. (laughs) He laughed then, a deep laugh that seemed to echo in the room as he clapped his hand on Brian's broad shoulder. (laughs) Oh, I I crack myself up sometimes. You should have seen your face, Brian. (laughs) Kettle's laughter slowly subsided into chuckles. You can present your report to me in 48 hours all the same. And Jinx, do the same for the building managers. We'll have both of you back here to present your well-researched opinions in two days. If your answers are um, insufficient, well, let's just hope for both of you that they are not. (laughs) Kettle chuckled again as he went back to his perch near the window, lifting a leg to rest on the chair as he gazed out the window before continuing. Now then, buildings 10 and 11, give me your status updates. I need to be amused. The howling of wolves had continued to grow closer throughout the day as the small party of companions discussed their options just outside the circle of stones. But as the shadows grew long and the howls grew louder, even Jeremy had moved from his shadowy perch in the forest line to huddle near the small group. Well, Charlie Company, I suggest we prepare to defend ourselves. I think it is beyond doubt that those wolves are coming for us. All of you move into the stone circle. A single opening is far easier to defend than remaining out here in the open. The stone lieutenant had easily taken command of this ragtag group and had already ordered the others to build a small wall at the entrance. Yet no one seemed eager to move into the shadowy confines of the great stone monument. Charlie clutched the remainder of her necklace. The small picture of her sister had burned away and she was still in shock 
and feeling guilty at the loss. I don't like the look of that place. She murmured, not realizing that she had spoken the words aloud. Don't like, don't like, repeated Mift, now toying with a new phrase to add to his growing collection of human speak. You know, little Mift, I could teach you some proper phrases. Charlie noted absently as she gazed into the yawning mouth of the great stone structure. We haven't time for niceties, Charlie Company. If we're to last the night, we must prepare now. Off you go. Get inside while Salazar and your bat friend fly reconnaissance for us. With this, Lieutenant gazed at Jeremy and Salazar until both of them had lifted off the ground and into the air. Salazar dipping and twirling about as the much larger Jeremy flapped mightily until he could no longer be seen. Well, that leaves Sergeant Pete and I to handle the door, and you and the chipmunk too stay out of the way. Noted the lieutenant in matter-of-fact tones. Don't like, don't like, don't like. Snipped Mift, who looked comically offended by the insinuation that he would not be useful in defense. Charlie too put her hands to hips and stared at the lieutenant for a moment before offering an open hand to Mift who reluctantly hopped on and allowed himself to be carried into the dark structure. Now, don't you worry, younglings. The lieutenant and I have seen our fair share of battle, and there's not a wolf alive that scares me, added old Pete bravely, followed by his odd barking sounds and a ruffling of his feathers. Charlie noted that the pair of them nearly filled the gap between the stones but wasn't so sure that they would be enough to keep the approaching wolves at bay. Yet as she entered the strange circle of stones, an odd feeling lifted the hairs on her arms and along the back of her neck. It was as if this place were alive. Adding to the strange feeling was the ominous look of the odd markings along each of the stones. These carvings or shapes somehow seemed familiar and yet completely foreign at the same time. Mift could feel the energy as well, climbing at first from her hand to her shoulder as a little girl seemed suddenly to be caught in a trance, moving step by step to the center of the stone slab. Just wake up. Just wake up. Mift chirped in her ear. But Charlie kept walking until she stood alone in the center of the stone slab. And then, dark tendrils began to snake toward her from the strange markings on each of the stones. Mift scrambled about, from one shoulder to the next, furtively looking up at her, and even once nipping her earlobe. But the little girl gave no reaction at all, as the darkness now swirled at her feet in a gentle caress. Just wake up! This time, Mift chirped the phrase urgently, then leaned toward the opening in the doorway. Just wake up! Just wake up! But his tiny voice was drowned out by the thunderous din of the wolf pack, who had just arrived. Just outside the opening, old Pete and the stone lieutenant stood shoulder to shoulder, blocking the entrance to the inner circle as wolves slowly appeared at all angles, as if materializing from the shadows of the woods themselves. Time is up. The voice of the lead wolf, Ferris, drew their attention to the right. Give us the girl, and I promise we'll make this as painless as possible. <laughs> Ferris sneered with a bark and a growl. 
enough of you to even take me, uttered old Pete as he puffed his feathers and lowered his head, swaying back and forth as if ready to strike at any moment. You are breaking the treaty, traitor. The lieutenant's head now bore the semblance of a slotted helmet, and a pile of stones near its base quivered with energy and a life of their own. Ferris let out a laugh, followed by a hissing growl. She bared her teeth at a pair of them. If it's a fight you want, then a fight you'll have. And even as she was finishing the words, she and a dozen wolves left as one. Pete struck back with lightning quickness that belied his old age, and for a moment even looked the ferocious hero he once was of old. Parrying flashing jaws with a stroke of a wing, pounding a head back with his hardened feet, clawing away another with a powerful kick. The stone lieutenant, too, was a whirlwind of stone and dust, shattering the gaping mouth of one wolf with a fearsome blow and sending a blast of small round stones that scattered several more. But the two of them could not hold on like this for long. Ferris watched from behind as the first wave of her guards struck and were rebuffed thinking that she should perhaps have brought the entire pack. With a quick bark, she called them off to attack to regroup, also signaling the second wave that had been waiting in the woods in case these few had reinforcements. As the wolves retreated, Old Pete dropped to the ground, stinging from a dozen small gashes and breathing heavily. Well, old friend, this might be Old Pete's last stand. He smiled wearily placing a large wing around the stone golem. Be sure to write a good song for me. Don't be giving up yet, Sergeant. We shall fight to the last of us. Well, look, they've nearly surrounded us. The enemy is to our left, right, and straight ahead. We have them exactly where we want them. This the stone lieutenant said in all seriousness, though there might have been a twinkling within the slotted helmet. With another chorus of howls, the whole of the wolf pack guards sprang toward them, causing both Pete and the stone lieutenant to give ground as they moved ever closer to the entrance, unaware of what was happening within. Ferris, waiting for her moment, leapt and caught Pete on the blind side, staggering the old bird before pouncing on top of him and baring her sharpened teeth. You are finished now, she growled in fury. <laughs> Part of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar the Yellow Finch is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Mift the Chipmunk is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. 
Adeline the Antelope is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous the White Tiger is voiced by Mike Ashley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent the Great Blue Heron is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard Stewart, Charlie's aunt, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the maintenance chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, the building manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky Podcast. Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Yates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris, the Wolf, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the child services worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmeyer, the caregiver, is voiced by Bob Anit from the Drive With Us podcast. Rupert Kirsman is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy Go Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy Go Lucky podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season. Vic went belly up at the estate of Congresswoman Camilla Mast. Ah, sounded like a soft explosion. I well assure you, Inspector, the killer is someone waiting in the house behind me. You have that guy over there who seems to know how to discreetly move some money around. Does Connie Hex seem like the type of gal to you that always follows strict orders? I was discreet, but maybe I did too much. A victor gives no quarter. Then you have the dumb rich mate who can't wait to give his dead parents money away. And cat hair sticks to Ferrari leather like duct tape. I'm fairly confident none of us here are murderers. Woo-wee, you sure know how to make a girl sound so important and official like Mr. Brody. I, uh, have microphones. 
there's two problems. I'm gonna kill him! The first being, the murderer is going to have an airtight alibi. Yeah, I'm double dog down with that. Well, well, well. What is this manner of disturbance here this fine evening? The second problem, we must have a killer in custody before the 11 o'clock news. A lot is riding on this. It's either him or her. We're going live right now, kid. It's time to make the magic happen. And counting in three, two, Pigeon Spaceship Studios proudly present Inspector Verlo Morton Lee, premiering Sunday, February 24th, 2019.